Thank you for tuning in to the Global Novel. I'm Claire Hennessy. Once upon a time, the comic strip was a poor, unbaptized, and unrecognized stepsister of character, which was the poor sister of the graphic arts, which were the poor sisters of the fine arts. If there was a fairy godmother at the birth of the Sleeping Beauty, the prince of public acclaim was slow in coming to wake her. Such is the witty humor that sets in motion David Consol's new monograph, Rebirth of the English Comic Strip: A Kaleidoscope, from 1847 to 1870. Today, I have the honor again to speak with Dr. Consol, Professor Emeritus of Art History at UCLA, about his new book. Hello, David. It's a great pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you. Your new book offers a comprehensive and intensive survey of the British comic strip in the period of the mid-Victorian generation, namely from 1847 to 1870. So, could you please share some insights on this periodization? Well, it it does, can appear a little odd, a little surprising, and perhaps needs defending and explaining um, that well, what happened in 1847 and or 1870 to give me the beginning and ending dates of my study, which I decided on quite a long time ago. The beginning point was not hard, because it is the first eruption into the English journalistic scene of the comic strip after a long period of abeyance. I should explain that first of all. Those of you who have been following a bit the history of caricature will know that caricature, as such, became commonplace and popularized the single sheets and small albums that George Cruikshank was an expert at doing at the beginning of the century during the great age of caricatures, as opposed to, shall we say, Hogarthian satire, Gilray and Rowlandson. And many other caricaturists devoted much of their life to caricature and to making fun of the politicians of the day and the scandals of the day in the late 18th century. Continued into about 1820, then stopped. Caricature became as a、well, portrait caricature, which was not so interesting. It was not really telling stories about them, and it was not invented. And there was a big gap between 1820s and 1842, when Cruikshank attempted a sort of Hogarthian narrative, which was not successful. But in January 1847, the a new magazine started called Man in the Moon, which was intended as a kind of an imitation or rival to. Punch. It wasn't really a rival because it's totally different in character and in its、um, format, which was so small it would fit into your pocket like a railway guide.、Mm-hmm. The traveller expected to pick it up on his way to anywhere, slip it into his pocket. Railway travel was still exciting. It was still new in 1847, and would become massively popular with the building of new railway lines and the comic strip. Is really born on those railway lines in the succeeding years, especially with Punch, which took over fairly soon by the 1850s. So anyway, here is Punch coming on the scene in 1847 after the death of Man in the Moon, and fairly soon there appeared、um, before by, by the late 40s a character which was created by a Punch artist. A character 
created by John Leach, the newcomer to the caricatural scene, and who had done funny drawings and cartoons, so-called, but had not done any stories. And then he suddenly realized that he was beginning to create a character called Briggs. And Briggs, after appearing just as a defender of his um, palace, so well, a mansion that he had built, he was obviously a wealthy man, conceived of as such, and he built a sort of mansion in which um, he had trouble uh, in the construction. And to get the construction going, he uh, found Irish workmen rebuilding the house, much more than Briggs wanted. But suddenly, Leach found more things for Briggs to do, particularly as a horseman. And he became the most horseman of caricature, the most famous horseman, and uh, a very clumsy one. He was obviously a very uh, a poor rider. Fun of the thing is that he was always falling off his horse and always doing things with this horse that he shouldn't do. And here he is, Griggs, established as a favorite character on the uh, punch scene, because this is all happening in punch now. Um, Man in the Moon being long dead, uh, but punch is running away with Briggs, and Briggs is becoming really popular. And they will see why Briggs was continued. He became a continuing character. This was something new in caricature, a continuing character and a funny one. But he has uh, several years of life, does Briggs. And he is, you can describe him as the best sense by the few historians who've looked at this era. Mm-hmm as the um, funniest character. Well, certainly since Dickens, uh, Briggs was a, um, a continuous feature of the punch. And he uh, had a, such a presence and such a following that when he disappeared momentarily, um, it wasn't you know, a weekly appearance in punch anymore. There was a gap. People wrote in. To complain. This is unusual. Uh, but Briggs was there and he had he, he established Leach as the major cartoonist. Middle of this, there came the news that uh, Britain was admitting the Catholic hierarchy. You know, the Catholics who had been discriminated against quite severely. They couldn't, you know, sit in Parliament, for instance. Um, but now they are being permitted to produce a whole old Catholic hierarchy of bishops and such. This Catholicizing of British public was embraced by Punch as a danger. And Punch thought Catholic invasion was a bad idea. Doyle disappeared because he quit Punch when it was accepting the um, Catholic invasion. Which brings us to the, well, after the the death of Man in the Moon, for sure, some years later, but um, by 1850, which is the date of the Catholic invasion, another artist shows up who is to appear, who is to become a um, stalwart of punch cartooning. And by that, I mean cartooning in the sense of single cartoons, so-called. A new word, actually, in that mm-hmm. sense, 
was just a funny drawing, it was called a cartoon. Um, and uh, this, the artist who was good at this, particularly because cartoons required, I mean, the cartoon is a comment on what's going on in the country, like to use animals, animal uh, substitutes, shall we say, you know, the British lion, for instance, mm-hmm. um, which was defending British interests all over the world. Uh, as such, as a lion, which is obviously a sort of noble beast and capable of doing this. Right. Um, here is an artist who could draw lions, having studied them in the zoo, uh, and his name was Tenniel, John Tenniel. And John Tenniel, from the moment he was appointed uh, as a uh, regular cartoonist, mm-hmm. managed to do virtually... It's not, not absolutely continuous, but pretty continuously every week. It's an extraordinary feat, really. Every week, a cartoon. He did, uh, Tenniel did all of these in comic strips, true comic strips. Short ones, but very uh, beautifully drawn as it happened, because Tenniel was a brilliant draftsman. He goes on right to the 1900s. That gives us an entree into the develop into the first manifestation of the comic strip uh, by a, an important artist, Ateneo, joined by in as time developed over, particularly since the 1840s, the 50s, I should say, in the 1850s, particularly stimulated, for instance, by the Great Exhibition of 1851, mm-hmm. which um, was a big event, European event. The English were proud to put up all their achievements in industrial manufacture. Out of the blue, there comes um, a, um, a cartoon about the Great Exhibition mm-hmm. uh, of uh, 1851. And that is attended by much misgivings, the very idea of uh, an international exhibition which would invite foreigners. The Great Exhibition was a tremendous success and huge crowds. And that's leading the Great Exhibition, which generated a number of comic strips. And then um, we find a sort of mark in Charles Keane, who was another important artist who joins the punch team uh, in the uh, mid-century. And uh, Charles Keane was uh, himself, I think, sort of the influx of all these foreigners made them people think about the safety of the island against invasion. It's not voiced uh, consciously because nobody could invade Britain um, safely at all. And the threat of invasion, which occasionally the French like to play with, they had this idea that uh, uh, their natural cultural superiority to the British allowed them to sort of lord it over the British, um, but it not, never about to the point of a real invasion beyond the tourists invading for the Great Exhibition. Anyway, here is Charles Keane, who has become a volunteer, mm-hmm. and apart from his uh, regular performance, and here now is... Uh, a figure, Du Maurier, whose name is French, and who was trained in France. And he develops a series of stories 
which are based on the idea of um, artificial in its way, but succeeds because caricature is allowed to exaggerate. It was noted that Punch, I should say, just Du Maurier in particular, the leader in the idea that to make graceful-looking females really <laughs> stands out head and shoulders above all the rest and saves her diminutive, necessarily much shorter husband from danger and shows up, uh, might say almost magically, having produced a lot of also extra-large children. And this taste for tall was um, a feature of his drawing style, depending on how much they were reading outside of Punch, they would have noticed that Town Talk, a new magazine, showed up in the 18, late 1850s, 1858 59, with an artist called William McConnell. And William McConnell did what is a record number of pages on a single comic strip, runs through a magazine, a new magazine, which you might say was founded for the purpose of accommodating a real graphic novel. Uh, that is to say, a long, an extended series of adventures for the same character. And he does this in Town Talk, which is best known in English literature for having harbored a controversy between Dickens and uh, one of Dickens's protégés, who Dickens felt had been insulted by town talk. And there's a big, in the literature of the period, you can find out that town talk is a rather important magazine for its harboring of this um, origination uh, repute, I mean, uh, sort of insults banded back and forth between an artist and, and Dickens' protégé. Gustave Doré, who was actually a brilliant caricaturist in his own right, did a history of Holy Russia, which is very, very funny and very inventive and very, in its way, rather scandalous because it exaggerates the cruelties of the Russians beyond all compare. And uh, in fact, at the end of the war, was judged to be too insulting to the Russians with this compilation, this graphic novel called The History of Holy Russia. So in this new magazine of Judy, there is a feature that comes out of, of extraordinary uh, promise, and that is Marie Duval, first fully professional female caricaturist who dominated the pages of uh, Judy and Judy uh, albums, albums of cartoons from Judy, with a character called um, Ali Sloper. And Ali Sloper becomes a cult. It's extraordinary how this uh, disreputable character appealed to the imagination of shall we say, the lower middle classes. The whole of my book is devoted to this era, 47 to 70, uh, and has turned out, some to my surprise and slightly to my horror, when I see, saw the books, the books had printed 
much bigger than I intended and more to say about this era. But at any rate, here is um, Alice Sloper continuing past 1870 and becoming a figure of um, reverence and a collectible. It happened a bit with Dickens' character. It happened with, actually, we'll go back to Hogarth, whose life of a harlot by Hogarth a century and more before was painted on fans, for instance. Uh, so just a decorative element, just something you put on a fan, uh, which uh, could remind people that uh, of the existence of this, these characters that have been created by cartoonists, um, which to do so was considered a kind of um, you know, recognition. It obviously is, and it's a recognition today when a comic character or a hero character, any kind of caricature or any kind of figure who appears in what is sort of caricatural context becomes popularized and commercialized. And Alice Sloper was massively commercialized. And since I published the book, I reviewed a book which is traces the history of Ali all the way into the 20th century. Mm -hmm. It's quite an exciting journey, which shows him transforming from the ne'er-do-well, shifty, uh, marginally criminal, uh, petty criminal, um, un unrepentant criminal, I should say also, because he never gets challenged for these little, uh, little um, uh, misdemeanors if that's all they are, various cheats that he engages in. Anyway, he transforms himself, it seems, or Marie Duval, her, his her initial creator, who makes him first popular in the 1870s with albums of his own. Uh, and then after she stops, and um, the late 80s, I think, um, she finds his her creation, which initially she had shared somewhat in a way which isn't quite clear how much, but initially a little later, much more, shared responsibility for continuing the character with her, I, I like to call her a husband, her, her common-law partner was the editor of Judy, okay? Mm -hmm. But in 1884, so after the period I deal with, and so I don't really come to that in the book, alas, it's going be another book, which I have not, will not be around to, to write. Somebody else will, or somebody else has begun doing the um, life of and the development of uh, Alice Sloper into a kind of man about town, very respectable, uh, quite elegant in his way, but also raffish in a way that, you know, people like to imagine aristocrats could be, you know, they they go to the best resorts, you know, they show up at Oxford, uh, they show up at Ascot, they show up in the Royal Academy, they show up at the boat race, you know, they go to all the fashionable uh, events. Mm -hmm. And there is Ali, 
doing something naughty as a rule, uh, not very, uh, but sort of sporting his a kind of social know-it-all, uh, being a... a If you have enjoyed this episode so far and want to hear the entire episode, you can subscribe at theglobalnovel.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. 